You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. World Talk Radio. Listen. You're going to be listening to the Sharon Kleiner Hour. And I invite you to, to this very special program each week. It's got a little different story to tell. I am serious about water. And the name of the show is the Sharon Kleiner Hour, The Power of Water, Life, Global Warming, and Your Health. And each week we try, as we can, with our special guests from all over the country and soon the world, about how important it is that the environment is educated to you, you understand you're getting up every day living with the earth, and you need to learn how to live with that earth, this planet, together. And the power of water is your life and the concerns of it and what it means and our new fashion trend and statement to be vain and concerning about the environment is the water first. So the show each week will try everything it can to get you excited about how important it is for you to concern yourself with how much water you drink, the safety of the water, your health in the water, Everything you can to learn more about, and I guess we're calling it green, but we're going to call it environment, health, and how important it is for you to be healthy. We have very special guests today. We have WaterAid, and those of you who have never heard about WaterAid, as far as I'm concerned, it's the United Nations of the Concerns of Water, and it was founded in England in 1981. Here in the United States, it's formed concern. You'll hear from Patricia Dandonioni. Uh, she will tell you, and I know I didn't spell sound, say that right, but she will tell you how to pronounce it correctly. And then Garish Menon, who can tell you about more about water aid all over the world and its mission statement. Now, I want you to hear real quickly the mission. Vision and mission of WaterAid. WaterAid's vision, WaterAid's vision, is of a world where everyone has access to safe water and sanitation. So remember, as you're listening to their mission, their individual commitment and dedication for that concern, WaterAid is concerning water aid for the rest of the world and for the planet for eternity. We're going to take a moment from our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, to supplement the eyes for dry eye, and we'll be right back with our special guest. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866 866- 
613-1612. Or if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068. to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, The Power of Water, Global Warming, Your Health and Life. The issue of water is a crisis, but from the beginning of time, it's water that gives you the everyday healthy life, the concerns that you want to be a healthier person. Without the water, there is no life. It began with life, and it's the life of our earth. And I want to welcome today from Water Aid. And I'm going to call them today the United Nations of Water Aid to the World. Are you with us, Patricia? Yes, I am. Okay. And you pronounce your last name how? I pronounce it Dandanoli. Dandanoli. Okay. And that then we good. have we have Garish Menon. Garish, are you with us? Yes, I'm Sharon. Hi. Okay. It's nice to talk with both of you. Can you hear each other okay? Yes, we can. Yes. Okay, good. I want Patricia, uh, we'll start out with you and move over to Garish, uh, and tell us about water aid. And I'm, did you hear, I'm going to call you the United Nations of the world <laughs> for the concerns of water. And, um, and I, it, it is exciting what you're doing. You probably heard my com- commitment. I have. Uh, well, I have been in water research for over 25 years and, and, and my concerns and my company and everything we do is dedicated to the better understanding uh, of water. My knees were shaking, both of you, many years ago. I am 66 years old. I started studying maybe 30 years ago, mm-hmm. getting ready to write a book on the issues and the concerns and how important my knees were shaking. It had been forgotten. We're bringing it back. Well, you were ahead of your time for sure. Well, I am, and uh, you can imagine, uh, Patricia, many years ago, I come from Oregon, and here's the most beautiful mountains of the world, lots of water, and they're looking at me very funny because, but Sharon, what are you thinking about water, you know, and I haven't stopped. My mission is there. I am never going to stop. My commitment with everything we touch is the power of water and this earth to be for eternity. Now, Patricia, tell us about water aid. Well, thank you, Sharon, first of all, for having Girish and me on the show. Um, you know, I think what's interesting in your story is that the reaction that you had 30 years ago from people is sometimes the reaction you get today from people who don't really stop to think about how much we take water for granted in most places in the developed world, certainly in the United States. Most of us can walk into our bathrooms or kitchens and turn on the tap and have access to safe, abundant water. But for uh, over one billion people in the world, the, um, their ability to, to have enough safe water to drink and wash and cook is, um, is limited, and they need often uh, to walk long distances, many miles, Several times what a day. Is, uh, Patricia, can I, I'll interrupt once in a while because the audience Please. is listening. The word "limited" is too soft. Yeah, it is a crisis. It is a These crisis. People, people are dying. Are five thousand yes. children. Yes, exactly. Five thousand children die they, every it's day. Not lim- it's more than limited. They don't have it. One point one billion people in the world do not have access. If you, I, I see on your documents, two point six billion people in the world do not have access to safe sanitation, which means 
they are not going to be living very long or contaminating someone else. You've got 1.8 million children every year uh, are dying. That's right. 1.8 mil- million children are dying. Now, when there's a, there's a sanitation problem and not safe water or not enough water, that also means contagious disease. Uh, the other one is you've got, uh, uh, you're projecting that, that unsafe water uh, and hygiene and the education is vital to all that is going on. You even mentioned something here that I thought was interesting to put together with water that was so true. You are so right. Simple act of washing hands with soap and water reduced diarrhea and more other up to 40% of diseases. Washing our hands every day with soap and water. Where do they find the water? Let's forget the soap. Well, people. well yeah. that's one of, one of the reasons that, that people are unable to prevent those diseases that you mentioned. And we're talking about diseases that are long, um, long conquered in the developed world, simple cases of diarrhea and cholera and, and dysentery. Um, but one of the reasons that they're not able to prevent those diseases is because they don't have a water source available with which to wash. So it's all, as you said, it's tied together with health and, and even... Um, now, I'm going to go one more little step here. You just said something, and, and this is how important we need to really move this. And let's be, let's be, let's be uh, blunt. You not only have a, not a place to go wash your hands, you not only have an adequate water to be drinking, which is the healthy way to sieve your body and keep toxin moving, but you also don't have a toilet. That's what we mean by sanitation. It's a euphemism. But let's just use the word. I mean, uh, let's be open because the rest of the world thing, you know, you use some of these soft descriptions. I'm in the medical field and the health field. Let's just say washing your hands after going to the toilet, excuse me, to the mm-hmm. bathroom, and flush the toilet, put the lid down, go wash your hands, drink water during the day. These people have none of that. That's right. That's right. And so what WaterAid does is we work with um, poor communities, with local partner organizations in those communities, and we plan um, and help local communities build and manage their own safe water supplies and sanitation and hygiene programs. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We, um, we work in 17 countries. We uh, reach about a million people a year with safe water and about a, a million and a half with sanitation and hygiene education. And, um, you know, we're making great progress, but as you've said, the, the, the challenge before us is, is quite um, daunting, and there's a lot to do. Mm-hmm. Now, you've said here the water aid disc- that WaterAid discusses how the issue impacts health. You know, we're very much in, in, in the economy. You know, we're into a worldwide, and I need some education here if we could get some to our audience is we know that water is a crisis, so we, we're going to work toward that. And educators and yourselves and your mission and anything I can do, I'm going to be in New York here soon. I'd love to meet with both of you um, on education, education, education. But we also have another, people who do have that running water, it may not be safe. Uh, we do have people for getting many things, many reasons to for it because the air is so dry and the environment is dry, which means more bacteria. Dry air breeds on bacteria. Dry skin breeds on bacteria. Mm-hmm. Dry eyes, really, as our research is proving, breeds on bacteria. Um, what are you doing to educate people in all walks of life uh, about what you're trying to do with water aid? 
Well, we, we focus on one particular aspect of the water crisis, and that is how it affects poor people in the developing world. Um, I think uh, some of the things you've mentioned are certainly very important and relate primarily to challenges here and in other countries where there's already access for the, to the basic needs for water for drinking. Um, but I'd be interested in perhaps Girish speaking a little bit about the health implications of lack of water. Okay, Gareth, can we hear from you with your background on the health implications? Because we're finding that is spreading all over the world. We're a mobile earth now. Right, right, and and you highlighted the issue when you were talking about the connection between water and health, and that was absolutely bang on. What does happen is uh, there is no access to water in many places. Water is actually collected or scooped out of unprotected water holes or water springs that often is the only source in the village for a range of domestic purposes, for bathing, for washing animals, for washing our clothes, and is the same unprotected source of water that's then available to poor communities to, to drink. Uh, partly it's due to lack of education that uh, this water is entirely not safe and it could lead to a whole range of diseases, but it's also because people just don't have a choice. That's the only source of water that's there. And as Patricia mentioned, even to get to that water point in many of the countries that we work in, particularly in Africa, in sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia, it's a long, long trek with uh, women and girls carrying 20-liter jars on their head. Now, can you imagine even just lifting a 20-liter jar full of water, forget carrying it for four hours, five hours every single day? And the children probably don't go to school, so they're having to help bring in this source of life. We'll call it source of life. Absolutely. To where they live at that spot and the energy every day it takes to bring that water source to where they're living and they eat and everything they're doing. and. And you know, let's be a little bit more bang on. Uh, and where do they where do they eliminate anything to do with sanitation? Is it uh, is it behind the uh, the house? Where is it at? Well, so it this is. is also their hands are contaminated. Their their soil is contaminated. Uh, yes. This is very. This is. We need to be blunt. Yes. And uh, people, you know, we have a tendency um, to be soft about things, how we describe something we don't like because we're concerned that somebody might not agree. Well, I don't, I'm not going to go there with this. Water is going to be an issue to all of us to have an eternity to live here. You need water, you need the water in the streams, the lakes, the rivers, and all that goes on there, and the aquifers, and the lowest part goes down to the oceans, the seas, and so on. You've got to have that moisture in the air to be able to filter also and protect you with an immunity, pH balance, immunity protection. These people you're talking about have no time to live other than survive. There's no water. Yes. Most of the people that Girish and I have traveled to several countries where water aid works over the past couple of years, and um, even uh, as he mentioned, the, 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 you know, if, for those people that are able to collect water from unprotected sources, um, oftentimes they're not even getting enough of that water, even if it is, it's contaminated to begin with, and even so they're only getting you know, less than 10 liters a day which is far below, as you would, I'm sure, agree, what's necessary for 
drinking, cooking, bathing, all the Garish. all the uses that we also Patricia uh, Garish, what Garish, where are they getting the water? What is the source of the water to be safe, clean water? Well, when WaterAid works with a community, we try to rely on typically the, the we'll either use um, groundwater, and that would be accessed through a, a, a well, either a hand dug well or a borehole, if depending on how far down the water table is, or if there is a spring nearby that can be safely uh, capped, we can rely on that. What what people. Uh, what we try to do is, is encourage people not to use what Girish described are these open sources like a, a pond or a river in which animals are bathing, in which people are washing right. their, their clothes and that sort of thing. Take you mentioned sanitation. Um, when people don't have access to safe sanitation, safe uh, toilets, they'll often simply do what any of us would do if we had no choice, and that is to just um, relieve themselves out in the bush, out in the field. Mm-hmm. And as you right. said, what happens when it rains is that that, will, that runoff will contaminate these open exactly. sources that exactly. people then go and collect water for drinking. And, you know, it, 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 people will just have no other choice. It's not that they don't realize that there is um, danger, but with the water, when, when there are no other safe supplies, they, they have to rely on what's at hand. So it's important for us to provide them with the very basic technologies. We're not talking about fancy filtration systems or um, any kind of uh, expensive technologies. The kinds of projects that we work on typically cost only about $30 per person, which then provides that person with water and sanitation on a sustainable basis. So it's very, very simple, a hand pump or a rope pump. And also then, as Girish mentioned, telling people how to practice um, safe uh, hygiene, so to wash their hands at critical times, after using the toilet, before you eat, after cleaning the baby, um, you know, and, and really well, understand. Patricia, how, excuse me, how do you, when you go in and teach, uh, 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 you know, when, when, well, let's pretend like you and I are stuck on an island. Mm. And you and I are trying to make a go of, of, of life survival, and there's not enough water, and you're trying to do, and let's say we've even been living in a more modern way, but all of a sudden we're living like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, right, it can happen. Yeah. And, uh, and they say, you know, in the military and all the response trainings, the first responder training, that don't look for anything but your water first mm. uh, for survival to live. You can live longer without everything else but not the water. Sure. Well, there's some very basic things that people can do. You know, for instance, um, often if water is um, uh, filtered through a couple of layers of cloth to take out any large particulate um, matter and then put in a clear jug and put on uh, out in the sun for a couple of days, that's a very simple way of... Uh, killing a lot of the pathogens that's, that may be found in water. Um, there are things you can do, um, you know, but, but what we try to do is find sources of water that are safe and that are then protected in order to remain safe. We never used to think about the animals above the spring or above the creeks in the old world. Um, Patricia, uh, I, uh, I come from... Uh, and, Garish, I come from Oregon, and I don't know if either one of you, but I've climbed the mountains. I've climbed up the creeks to the top of mm-hmm. the head of it, uh, swam the rivers through the rapids, swang on the grapevines. Um, 
and you look at what you're just saying today, mm-hmm. that uh, in the older days, we thought nothing of drinking in the old world if you were thirsty out of a creek because it was out in the woods. But there could have been an animal dead laying above that creek mm-hmm. somewhere. We never well, had the education we have now. That's right. But also in, in rich countries, there's a lot of curative medicine. And so if a child today gets diarrhea, they need to stay out of school for a day or two and, um, and they'll be fine. But when, when expensive medicines are, are not available or if people aren't able to reach a health care facility, often those children um, get very, very sick and can very quickly, as you said, dehydrate and, and, dehydrate and to death. sadly and die. Exactly. Yes. Um, now, I want to ask you both uh, on the water uh, aid, uh, what you're doing. Have you been working with the United Nations at all? Um, Girish, maybe you can talk about some of the partnerships that we have in the field. Yes, yeah, thanks, Patricia. Um, uh, we, we do have a very close partnership with the uh, with UNICEF, which is one of the key UN bodies that focuses mm-hmm. on water and sanitation. Um, and, and the community is obviously children, and we find this very strong correlation between health, education, and children's uh, development. So we have various partnerships in in many of the countries that we work in, in terms of joint programs, looking at how schools can be the basis for us to promote education on hygiene. And it's very interesting to see uh, young boys and girls taking the responsibility for keeping the toilets clean, for hand washing, and then... Hand washing. Yes, and and being agents for that change when they go back to the families to, to then try and educate the elders and the adults in the families that this is what they learned from school. Mm-hmm. These are the reasons why you should have a clean source of water, keep water safe, wash your hands at critical points during the day to avoid the transmission of infection. So that's one we thing. Had to, we had to take a moment and uh, with our sponsor, but we're going to come back and you two be thinking about something that you know that would be very vital to others getting involved and also in the United States where water is very abundant, but some of the issues that we are all facing because we've, we've been taking water for granted, uh, we'll be right back. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears I Missed, and we'll be right back. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or, if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068. You're listening to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, the power of water and all of the mission of life, which you should be part of, listeners. Water is your life, and it you could become immortal if you get involved in concerns of the water and your health and the environment. Today we have representatives of water aid um, to the world and concerns to our planet of the issues that have been taken for granted for so long that if you can't wash your hands, if you have no place to flush the toilet, if you can't go get a drink of water that's 
fresh, clean, safe, you're not going to be healthy. And that unhealthiness is all part, a part of all of us. Don't take that for granted for a second. It couldn't happen to you and I at a moment if something didn't go quite right that day. Uh, we have Patricia with us today from Water Aid and Garish, and we were talking about water taken for granted. Um, Patricia, could you tell me more about who is the founder of this mission? Uh, I'm a believer, and I look sometimes to the power of life in my faith, that obviously I was selected with the mission. And who was the person who was the founder of WaterAid? Well, WaterAid was actually founded um, as a, an outgrowth of the water industry and leaders of the water industry in the United Kingdom, as you mentioned. Um, in the first, uh, in 1981, which was the beginning of the first UN decade for water, the water engineers and the water companies in the UK really felt that there was something important that uh, they needed to be able to give back. They had certainly um, seen the benefits of improved water and sanitation in, in London and the rest of England and um, knew that there was a crisis and tried to help. It started off as a volunteer-run and volunteer-based organization, so when you're talking about things people can do, the, uh, for the first 10 years of WaterAid's um, life, uh, it, was, it was run and managed by volunteers. Now it's grown uh, to, as I said, operating in over 17 countries, and it has um, uh, expanded now to include a whole range of uh, professionals working in international development. So there, there are a number of people still involved in engineering, but now many more people involved in um, public health and in international economic development as well. You had to make it a more professional organization because volunteers don't have the time to really be researchers or different people who can evaluate. And well, it grew to a scale that required professional involvement, but it also, um, I would say, tracked with our increased sophistication about how to tackle these problems. In the, in the early years, I think people very much thought, oh, well, there's a community without water. We'll go on our vacation, and for two weeks we'll go and drill a well, and that'll take care of it. We'll go home, and we'll, we'll have done our good deed. And I think what many organizations, including WaterAid, came to realize is as helpful as that is, what's more helpful and more sustainable in the long run is if you give local people the uh, responsibility and capacity to take care of their own problems so that they own those solutions. They know how, to, how they were developed and how they were planned, and they know how to run them. And then you won't find the, the problem of returning to a, a village or community a couple of years later and seeing that hand pump broken with no one who knows how to fix it or no one um, using it because it was put in a place that the community finds um, inaccessible. So we've moved from uh, having what we might call a hardware-based approach to one that includes more community involvement and, and community management. And in fact, WaterAid was recognized for its innovation in that approach and won a very prestigious international award um, about 10 years ago um, that, that recognized the, the, the leadership that we exhibited in, in sort of transitioning from that approach. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. In fact, uh, you have to. It's a crisis. And uh, so many people around the world, you know, look what happened in the United States in Georgia uh, when they said, oh, my gosh, the river is going dry. We're not going to have any water. Well, in many parts of the world, the United States, 
major rivers are, are not reaching the sea. I mean, uh, you know, in, in many places there are problems of water scarcity. There's, you mentioned global warming. Um, poor people who live very close to the natural environment, who rely on ecosystem services and, and the environment much more directly for their lives and livelihoods, are more likely to be affected by climate change than those of us living in cities where those those effects can be mitigated. So if there's a, an unusually dry season, people who rely on uh, rainfall for their drinking water and their and their crops are going to be affected more. So we yeah, are now also yeah, I think Garish would because of his background could uh, 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 say something here. Even in the United States, if you don't have the the flow of water, and they're saying uh, you're now going to have to ration your water in your home. Mm. You, and, and, and I noticed that you were involved in India, Garish. Could you tell us a little bit about what India has learned? Right. I think uh, the, the, the thing to say is that in India, as of now, in no city you can claim to have a 24-7 water supply, even if you're in the capital, uh, New Delhi. It is a big, big issue of scarcity, and it constantly points out to the need for, A, how can service providers or the utilities can provide equitable, sustainable uh, water to make sure that, A, it's good quality, and B, it's delivered on time. And what that happens is that because that doesn't, uh, is, that's not always the case, it leads to a lot of what we call the water stress, where families are constantly trying to find out where you get the water from. This oh, you just, oh, there we go to another one. You said bang. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to give it another bang. Water stress. Yes. You, the body is made up of 60 trillion cells that must be nourished every day. And what is stress? If one depletes, the other one draws on the other one. And if you don't have enough, can you imagine knowing that you have a thirst? The body has a thirst. Uh, I've had a, a dermatologist on recently. This skin requires so much water from the outside coming through. The eyes, we yeah. are learning now what causes dry eye. Not enough moisture in the air. Not enough water. Now we are learning, as you just said, Garish, a stress. Are we going to live today or tomorrow? What day can we not get out of bed? What if we're sick and we can't go get that water that day or we can't do what we're all saying a person must do if you don't have the water readily available or understand your survival? Yes, indeed. I'm glad you mentioned that water stress. Well, water stress definitely in a physical sense where, A, your body doesn't get the nourishment and uh, exactly. you often find that children, for instance, dying because the quality is not right. So that's the very, very extreme form of stress. There is just a physical stress of, of fetching water, as we mentioned some time ago, walking to long distances. But an interesting thing that we are seeing, which is very, very serious in many parts of Africa, which are affected by HIV-AIDS, is this whole issue about how with a lower immunity system, Poor quality water makes them much more susceptible to getting all other forms of infection, just uh, and therefore, you know, speeding that downward spiral in their health status. Mm-hmm. We have uh, we have studies that show that people living with HIV/AIDS, for example, need at least ten times more water than other people to make sure that the personal hygiene is maintained, the body is nourished, it's kept clean, and their uh, the, the immediate sanitary uh, sanitary needs are met. Now, can we imagine a situation where, as Patricia said, that people have less than 10 liters of water per day, and if you need some, if you have a person living with HIV-AIDS, and there are millions of them in Africa now, for instance, 
they need something like 100 liters of water per day. Now, how does one expect a community to live healthy? Well, and water, and water is the filter of, of uh, disease. In other words, the skin, the yes. largest organ of the body, has, you have to have so many glasses of water a day yes. to maintain that, but you have to have so much outside to balance out the act uh, of the organisms to be able to detoxify. Mm-hmm. Um, you're right. In fact, um, you are right. And this is a crisis that we're living on this planet together. And it was originated together, and one spot on Earth began before the other spot with the water, the power and life of water, mm-hmm. God in the water. Uh, the mirror in the water is who we all are, and uh, the faith in the water, whichever faith you have. And uh, what, as we're talking, you are saying, too, that without water, the stress of the body, it, it, no wonder it depletes, and we have HIV and and, and cancers and all of the diseases. And, and, you know, I've always said your lungs have been overlooked. Uh, the lung has a power to expel, but it must have moisture. Can you imagine how little we've studied the lungs? But if you don't have enough water, your lungs can't function. Right. Absolutely. And that's another research we're doing. Um, we're learning more about the water therapies and understanding what can we do with the therapeutic side of hydro water therapy that they also Garish left behind. You know, long ago when I was studying, and my and I am so sincere with you. I people have laughed to me. I had one time the president of Revlon, founder president Harry Doyle, said, "Sharon, I'm calling you the Empress of Water." Mm-hmm. You know, for for so many years, everywhere I go, television. Everything I do is water, environment, water. And people are looking at me, and what we're going to do here with what we can do is the water aid of the world to be understood that here in the United States, in Canada, New Zealand, places where you think of water abundant Mm. and a lot of it, they might have something happen someday in time. They don't have enough. Yes. And interestingly, Australia found it the hard way this year. She and I could end up on an island together, and we're used to more modern times, and what do we do to survive to think? And without the water and all that goes with that health, um, you know what I've learned, Gary, too, is your health Mm. is depending upon how much water you drink a day. And one time on the show I said, and on a TV show I said, well, I, everybody should be drinking 10 to 12 glasses of water a day to stay healthy and nourish those cells. Yes. But if you don't have it, Garish, I feel guilty to say that to the world because what if you don't have it? Then all of a sudden I put in your mind the stress, oh, my gosh, if I don't have enough water, I will die or maybe I will get so sick. Mm. Um, now, tell us, what you, when you said, Patricia, $30 per person, uh, where did they get the $30? Well, water aid. You mean where? Where do we? Where do the communities get it? Well, that's where water aid comes in, and, the, and our and our uh, supporters who help us. Okay. Which okay. Is thank that, you. That's what I was after. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, a lot of the communities where we work, they'll contribute um, sometimes in the form of their own labor, and sometimes with materials. But they obviously, uh, you know, people living on less than a dollar a day are not in a position to be investing in a in a community wide water system. So that's where water aid comes in and we, we we provide funding and technical expertise and support for them. 
um, and they contribute some of their own time and, and resources, and, and, and okay. it's a partnership. So now, the, I would ask are, you... Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was going to say that the funds come from donors here in the United States and also uh, around the world who uh, send contributions and um, and help us fund that that kind of work. Mm-hmm. Now, here, the, what you mentioned earlier that the founder and I, I noticed that when I read it was in England, mm-hmm. and it was founded by a, a man in England. Who is the man who founded this? Well, that's a good question. I've, I've, uh, Gary, well, I apologize. No, I'm first, sorry. I, it was the, the first, uh, the person who actually was a real uh, visionary. Yeah, the founder in England was founded yeah, in was David 1989. Ah, David. Oh, David, David Collett was the first head, international head of water aid. Oh, I see. Who, who was a real okay, force go. and power in terms of, you know, getting the, the water industry to to commit and say that, you know. This is the UN International Year of Water, and as you said, Sharon, rightly, uh, it's about our relationship with the United Nations. And we said here is a great opportunity. The United Nations has declared the first international decade of water in 1981. As a British water industry, we we should be committed to a cause and do our best in in contributing Mm -hmm. to parts of the world where this facility doesn't exist. Uh, You know, when I was studying years and years ago about waters of the world and and all the geographic, everything you can understand, uh, imagine, um, I found that in in Europe they were the most, the quickest to understand that water is a crisis, water futures, because of some of the new businesses that had been developed to sell the bottled water to drink because there wasn't enough community water sources that people had joined in. It's like you said, Patricia, as people start putting something toward their community water and they're volunteering to make sure everybody has that water. In the old world, they invested money, each one of them, by paying to that water spot so much water, uh, so much money a month to be able to have that spot that they knew they would have water. So it sounds like that in time, and this was 1989, I believe you were founded. Am I right? That's 1981. 81, thank you. And so they had seen that obviously there was a new movement, crisis in the future, Mm. that there needed to be an organization, water aid Mm. to the world, UN to the world, whatever you want to, but water aid to the world to learn more about this uh, and be educators also. Now, there's a lot of people can can do here in the U.S. I mean, you, you, before the break, you asked us to be thinking about what could people do here. And we, we get calls all the time from schools and school children, in fact, who have discovered this sometimes as young as second grade who can understand why this is such a urgent crisis and want to do something to help. And so there are uh, opportunities for children in school to maybe form a water club where they can learn about the issue. Teachers um, can visit our website and get lots of now, what website do they go to, Patricia, to find you? Sure. Well, we're at www.wateraid.org, and there's a section called Splash Out, which is particularly focused on lessons and um, games and activities that, that school kids can use. Um, right. Other people, uh, voters, for instance, um, there, there was actually legislation passed in the United States a couple of years ago called the Paul Simon Water for the Poor Act, and um, unfortunately, very little money has ever been actually allocated to implement this legislation. So one thing people could do is to look into the Water for the Poor Act and encourage their federal legislators to increase the funding for it, uh-huh. because that would solve the problem. 
Um, we also get uh, calls lots of times from civic organizations like the Rotary Club or Boy Scouts. Last uh, couple of weeks ago, we met with 450 representatives of the Girl Scouts who um, in their Girl Scout troops devoted their annual World Thinking Day to water. So um, lots of different ways in which people could, could educate themselves about the issue um, and get involved to try to help to solve it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and are you at liberty to say some of the water companies in the world that got behind us uh, at the beginning or today? Uh, Gears might know more about the, some of the companies that were originally involved in, in I think the we need, it would be if you know it, because people yeah. have to realize that the water co- I have found through the years with being involved with a lot of the companies that are in the water business are so serious with a mission. They care. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there some companies that you're at liberty to mention? Oh, yes. Uh, I mean, Thames Water has been one of the largest supporter, long-time supporter of WaterAid. And uh, in terms of support, it's also, uh, it's largely actually making their databases uh, accessible to us. So appeals for support, for instance, go through the water bills and it reaches out to millions of homes in England. So now, Thames, this is, uh, what's the name of the water company? It's uh, Thames Water. How do you spell it? It's T-H-A-M-E-S. Okay. Like uh, the river. Water. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, now, okay. Now, I've, now I'm, okay. Thames. Um, okay. Water. Okay. And then we have Seven Trent, which is another large water company. Um, Essex Water. Uh, Southwest Water. So there are all these water companies all over UK, and and as a as a, as a group, as a, as a broad alliance, they are fully. Now, behind. were you able to drop uh, any of the other water companies around the world that uh, that are not in England? Well, in Australia, a lot of our work is also supported to the water companies. It's in a very similar way as it happens in England, yeah. Okay. And and in the U.S., um, the the American Water Works Association and its members are definitely also involved in in, uh, the water crisis and trying to do what they can. The difference here in the U.S. is that, um, by and large, water is delivered by municipal water companies, whereas in the U.K., the companies have all been privatized, so it's a, it's a private, um, that these are private corporations. But you also mentioned, uh, in addition to actually water utilities, there are lots of companies involved with water technologies, water testing, water um, treatment that are, as you say, that they know very close, very much on the basis of their firsthand experience how important this is. And so we are, um, we definitely hear of companies that are interested in trying to understand how they could help as well. Oh, good, good. There's actually, I know. A, there's actually some a in the back of my, I have some in my mind that I'm thinking of, and that's why I asked, because they should be involved. Sure, and there's also a movement, um, part of the UN Global Compact, which is the way the UN tries to engage major corporations, is something called the CEO Water Mandate. And this is a, a commitment that CEOs of major companies are invited to sign on to, which pledges um, a certain uh, several several ways in which they can um, not only uh, minimize their water footprint, if you will, their own use of water, but be committed to helping people around the world have access to safe water at the same time. Mm-hmm. Well, we c- we're going to have to have, I hope you'll both come on again, because I know after the show's over, I'm going to have a lot of questions in my mind that I want the world to hear. And uh, definitely I'm going to leave uh, a watermark for you uh, whenever I travel, do what I do, because, and I'd love to have a link uh, to oh, understand, for the world, to our website, to understand the water aid 
the concerns you have and the mission you're doing and uh, the code of ethics that you have there for all life on this earth. It's, you know, I had a scientist on who said, Sharon, I'm, I'm worried about eternity, the word. And I said, there will be one. But it's all dependent on the water, right? Right. Thank you, Sharon. Patricia, I want to thank you both for everything you're doing. And, and sometime when I'm in Manhattan, are you there in Manhattan? Water Aid America is based in New York. That's right, in Manhattan. And Girish is from our London headquarters office, who happens to be uh, visiting with us here in New York this okay. week. So we were lucky to have him. Well, I wish I was there this week. But both of you, thank you for everything. And I really wish you well. Thank you I so much. Thank you, sir. A pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Have a nice day. Thank, thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Well, I hope you've all realized and heard today that message of why I have the Power of Water radio show, environment, your health, and the statement, you are valuable. You are valuable. And remember, it doesn't take any money or a lot of energy, maybe that extra moment to stop and think about what you can do for yourself, and that might rub on to the vulnerability to helping someone else. Our ne- we're going to listen to our sponsor, and in a moment we're going to have another special guest. I have mentioned many times when we've had the Hot Springs guests on about, is this some Hot Springs that Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who was a crippled during his presidency, that a lot of people didn't know he was crippled, that he would go to a warm springs for his therapy. And we're going to have today Kim Cushman, who is the manager of the FDR's Little White House Hot Springs. And we'll take a moment with our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, to supplement your eyes with water because of dry eye. And we'll be right back with Kim Cushman. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or, if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068. You are listening to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, the power of water, global farming, your environment, and your health. What a show. We have had some very special guests on through the period of time, and today we have Kim Cushman. Are you with us? Yes, ma'am. Well, thank you for joining us. Mm -hmm. Thank you for having uh, me. I've had the hot springs, um, different um, ones coming on throughout the country. We've had the Arkansas hot springs and and the different ones around the country, and I would ask them, by the way, did Franklin Delano Roosevelt come to your hot springs? And I'm really delighted to have you on today to tell us more. Let's start out before we're talking very much about the former president. Let's tell us, our audience, a little bit about your hot springs there in Georgia. Well, actually, we're warm springs. 
and oh, we are Warm, Warm Springs, Springs, Georgia. That's the name okay. of our town. Okay, Warm Springs. I mm-hmm. uh, I apologize. So Warm no. Springs. So how warm is yours? Are, are your springs? Well, we're 88 degrees year round, and that's what made it makes it so unique, and made it so unique for President Roosevelt. As a polio, he uh, any polio patients extremely sensitive to temperatures, and he had tried a lot are, of different actually, springs. Yeah, yeah. And I can't so, me for interrupting real quickly. When you said 88 degrees, your body's 98. Mm-hmm. For some reason, they thought these hot tub ideas that were closer to 100, 105, and higher were healthy. Uh-uh. That 88 degrees is better. So go on. Yes, and it's wonderful. Um, FDR discovered that uh, it didn't hurt him uh, to work in these springs. The hot springs in some of the other areas were just too hot for him. He was yes. too sensitive to it. So uh, he discovered uh, by an invite from George Peabody uh, an old resort here in Warm Springs. It had been a Victorian resort. Uh, kind of uh, at the turn of the century, had uh, you know taken a uh, turn for the worse, so to speak, because people weren't traveling as much. Invited him here, and FDR came on a whim Aww. and uh, fell in love. Well, now, tell, what is the pH of your Warm Springs? Well, that I'm not sure of, but I can tell you one. What makes it so unique, and there's a yeah, real texture to our water. Okay. Um, is it comes up from about 3,300, 3,500 feet under the fault of Pine Mountain, and that's the fault that we're on here, which is the last mountain in the um, southern Appalachians. Uh-huh. Uh, it's very unique because the coastal meets the Piedmont Plain okay. here, and we've got one little mountain popping up. Um, it comes up through the rocks. and oh, Now, uh, is this a lava rock? Hmm? Is it a, uh, comes up through a lava rock? A lava, a lava rock? Because you said you had a fault. We have a fault. Uh, oh, uh, okay. Is, is it lava rock, or what? Do you by do you by chance? And if you don't understand, that's uh, don't. I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but did you okay. know what, what kind of rock it is? Oh well, it's a mixture, mostly granite. Granite, okay. Mm-hmm. And it's a filtering rock. Granite. Right. Uh, okay. But it comes up through, and it picks up uh, minerals, bicarbonate, silicate, uh, okay. calcium, magnesium, sulfate, potassium. Sodium chloride, some sulfur, uh, has incredible buoyancy. And uh, that's what helped FDR and the patients. He designed pools that folks at the Warm Springs Institute uh, could go down, and it was the first, the first uh, treatment center for folks who had polio in the country. Oh, actually, in the and world. Do you remember, when, did, when was this founded? Do you remember the date? Mm-hmm. Well, he opened the pool in uh, 27. He first came here in 24. Mm-hmm. 1924, uh, designed the pools, got them open in uh, 27, between 27 and 29, and they were in operation until 1942. Mm-hmm. Uh, they came under the umbrella of the Department, Georgia Department of Natural Resources, which we are part of, were Georgia State Parks and Historic Sites. Mm-hmm. Now, when did it become a state park? Uh, in the early 80s. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It's one of the. It's actually the state's most uh, visited historical site. I was going to say. I bet it is. Uh, uh, we feel pretty privileged to be working here. It's a pretty special place. Yeah. Now, when people come, do they still come for the therapeutic reasons, or are they coming more just for the enjoyment of the luxury of these warm springs, or are they coming there because somebody or the doctor or someone advised them this might be a nice place to go and get some therapy? Well, there is therapy at the Warm Springs Institute, which is still a vocational rehab institute next to us. We actually manage the house that FDR built, which is called the Little White House. It's 
the only house that he ever built and owned himself. Uh, now, we have the pools and springs open to the public. We have a basin We can only that people can feel the water, feel the texture of the water. Um, we can only fill up the pools once a year because the they're so old they can't uh, the structure can't handle the weight of the water anymore it's the original pools that were built in the late 20s i see and so uh now are you open just certain times a year uh we're open year round our site is open we're only closed on thanksgiving christmas and new year's okay so that when you say you only fill it up once a year what is it we fill it up on labor day weekend so that people can actually get in Okay, okay. Now, and you said you have several pools. So is there, uh, there, when a person comes, are there certain pools that are suggested to them to use? Well, actually, there's, there are not pools that are open to the public, general okay. public. Uh, at the Institute, the Warm Springs, Roosevelt's Warm Springs Institute, uh, there are several pools that, have been, that are used for therapy with their patients. I see. For rehab here. And, and how uh, far do you think some of those people are coming to uh, enjoy well, that luxury? They serve a lot of they serve a lot of the residents of Georgia. Um, a certain number of folks come from other states. Uh, the institute itself is under the Department of Ra- uh, Labor, uh, managed by the state of Georgia, and it is uh, for vocational rehab. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. So uh, it's quite unique. It's a very unique little area. We only have 450 folks in our little town. Oh. We live in this little people uh, living yeah. here now. Now, what's what's the town? What's the largest town close to you? Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia. We're uh, we're an hour and twenty minutes from from the Grady Curve. If anybody listening's ever been in Atlanta, downtown Atlanta. Um, so we're quite close, but we're still uh, very rural down here. Um, now, have you found during this uh, global climate change, let's call it? Okay. It changes forever. It always has and it will continue to change. Have you found any changes that are distinct to the way your springs are uh, uh, coming into the pools? We have not. Uh, We haven't noticed any changes. Uh, We are sitting in a very unique geological area. Mm -hmm. There are seven springs that, at warm springs, that actually stretch from Auburn, Alabama, I went to the University of Georgia, so I'm not supposed to say that out loud, um, <laughs> all the way to Barnesville, which is a couple hundred okay. miles. And this is the largest spring. It's unique. Uh-huh. Uh, and we also, as many people may know, we've been in a pretty severe drought here in the I south. I know. I, that's what I was leading to. Um, and, uh, no, we have, we are okay at this you are not. Your aquifers were not affected at all. Mm-mm. We're our own watershed. Yeah, that's what it, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, now, in other parts of Georgia uh, that were affected, I have now has there been any correction? Has the rains come down enough to start filling up the aquifers and get things back to somewhat normal? No, not normal, but we are getting rain on a steady basis in a good many parts of the state. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. It's nice, you know, in our area we're getting rain about once a week now, which is very nice. Last summer was scary. Yeah, no, no, it hit the news. Very scary here. Uh, what um, was happening, and I had brought it out on my radio show that um, I was very, everybody, you know, has to realize, uh, I don't know if you heard our former our guest earlier, the water um, um, aid people that are concerned about water that started in England in 1981, and people not to take water ever for granted, and and it, it's got to be a lesson learned uh, that I hope will never be forgotten for all of us to have heard, that you do not take that water for granted. And when you're 
you know that there's a, a tributaries and you know there's flows of waters in the aquifers and your rivers and more. You've got to have it before it begins to happen. You've got to educate everyone that we need to slow down on uh, sharing water or whatever we're doing to make sure there's enough water for everybody to be healthy and live. Mm-hmm. And what is the service civilization of our earth as water? Now, back to your warm springs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've had to have, and what I was leading into is Europeans were traveling all over the world to look for these waters, and you had to have in the old days a lot of Europeans find this water to be unique. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you have a lot of Europeans come in? Um, I don't know about Europeans, Europeans, but I will say that when um, Warm Springs, the Meriwether Inn, was a resort, it was very heavily visited at the turn mm-hmm. of the century. The beautiful uh, Victorian um, resort uh, that people came to, and then uh, in the teens, of course, um, that all fell off, and it was sitting in disrepair, and uh, that's when uh, FDR discovered it. I see. And, and how did he discover it? Because in those days, it probably wasn't something commonly known, no. except for a lot of Europeans knew, but about these type of sources were so rare and so uh, such a therapeutic uh, not only slowing aging, but for many of the other uh, ailments that we may have complaints of. How did he find out about it? Well, George Peabody sent him a letter. He was an owner, one of the oh. owners of the resort, and invited him down. Um, there was a little bis- bit of miscommunication. FDR was under the impression that a young man had been cured by swimming in these waters. And when he came here, which he had to come by train from Atlanta, um, because there were just dirt roads here at that point. Um, he found out that that wasn't entirely true. The young man had found relief and was able to stand in the water and felt yeah. strengthening. Um, and FDR... Uh, now, a lot of our listeners may not know this, but Franklin Delano Roosevelt, our president of the United States, back in the 30s and 40s, mm-hmm. a lot of people didn't know it. He was living in a wheelchair. Yes, and it was. That was a secret that they did not want the world to see, uh, to know that our president wasn't feeling well. And yet he was strong. And mm-hmm. uh, he was working very hard every day to uh, to build his strength up from polio. Mm-hmm. Was, a lot of people didn't know he was in the wheelchair. And uh, when this came out about this warm springs that he was going mm-hmm. to, uh, and I had heard the story long ago, Kim, that he, he did find it to be a therapeutic benefit, though. Oh, did and, he love uh, it? Yes. He yeah, was yeah. able to stand here. He was able to get his strength back. And he loved coming to this community because he was able to be himself. Yeah, I think in time it's going to become, we're going to go back to the waters again, Kim, mm-hmm. where, where we're going to be using waters again for therapy. And uh, when that message gets out there more and more, that water is your therapy, water is who you are. We feel very privileged to be the stewards of this area, um, to be in charge of maintaining this natural resource, which it is, because there's no commercial use of our waters. Um, Mm -hmm. They are here for our guests to come visit Mm -hmm. and see and learn about FDR, about polio, and how, how what an impact polio had on our country. Mm-hmm. when it occurred, oh. that whole epidemic, and, and not knowing what caused it. Um, so it's pretty fascinating, and it's really fascinating to, to think about how much history uh, came out of this little village. Earth Whispers, never say goodbye. Thank you for listening.
Talk Radio, bringing the world to you.